0: excited to be joined by Mitchell Earl. He is the COO of Praxis, which is a business apprenticeship program for young adults who want more than college. He's also author of Don't Do Stuff You Hate and host of Self-Directed Podcast. He's uh, been on this podcast feed in the past. So if you want to hear more of his backstory, you can check that out. Welcome to the show, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, thanks, Joel. Always a pleasure to uh, come back on the show and and talk about career stuff. And I don't know where we've got other great conversation planned for today. So looking forward to it.
0: My pleasure, man. So I understand your backstory. You almost went to law school, but then you kind of pivoted. And that sort of integrates with the book you wrote with Isaac Morehouse, Don't Do Stuff You Hate. So I kind of want to start there where, you had this gut intuition, I'm guessing, where you needed to make a big change. So tell me about that philosophy of don't do stuff you hate and how that um, played out for you.
1: Yeah, so a a lot of the ideas in don't do stuff you hate are closely married to my own journey. And I think that they are in in some ways more of a reflection than something that, than a life philosophy that I deliberately had early on uh, that guided some of these decisions. I think it was this thing that I sort of accidentally stumbled upon after a lot of trial and error. So in order to give you the proper context about the law school decision and sort of everything that happened as a result of that decision, which was was a pivotal moment in my life and career, I got to rewind the clock a little bit. I was your typical high achieving uh, young adult all through school. I was your typical academically inclined how do I pad my resume? How do I look as good as possible to college admissions? I knew I wanted to go to medical school uh, from a very young age, and I didn't want to just go be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. Why? One, I was interested in it. Two, I was very interested in this idea of prestige chasing, and, and not just prestige chasing, but I knew from an early age, I wanted I wanted to acquire wealth. and. What I didn't know at the time is that I wanted I wanted freedom and I wanted things that wealth could afford. It wasn't just about money, and so all of those things sort of influenced the way that I approached my life, my career, education decisions early on. Um, When I did get into college, that was the first time where I had sort of this major identity crisis. This was the first time that sort of my assumptions about what I thought I wanted and why I wanted them were challenged in a in a very meaningful way. And that was both through a combination of just like butting heads with professors um, about college. I felt like the game of education was really stupid because I was so academically inclined. I could go, I could go take tests without showing up to class, and I felt like that should should have been sufficient for you know passing you know passing classes if I could do well on tests and you know things like attendance policies and all these other sort of hoops uh, that you have to jump through to play the education game well. Really began to. Uh, upset my, upset me and really begin to identify themselves for what they really were. It wasn't about how much you knew it or how well you mastered a subject. It was about how compliant you were. And that just never sat well with me because I'm I'm like very low on the respect for authority matrix, like low on the compliance. I want to go figure out the most practical way to do things. The second thing outside of the classroom was getting involved with an early stage startup where... It was, it was very much an idea. Um, this media company that I got involved with, it was, it was pre-product market, like very, very early phases. And I got involved in that outside of class. And over the next few years, it went from this handful of people to several thousand people. This thing just blew up. This company blew up and it's wildly successful. And, and that sort of opened my eyes to this other world of this other route of, of building your life and career. It's like, oh my gosh, this idea of entrepreneurship, like you can literally go from zero to 60, um, but you can do it by turning an idea you have into something valuable for other people. And so that experience juxtaposed to my experience in college, were just at odds. When I got, by the time I got out of college, I felt like I was more confused about what I wanted to do. There was still part of me that felt attached to this idea of prestige seeking, but I knew at that time, I didn't want to go to medical school I wanted to go be an entrepreneur, whatever that meant. I knew I wanted to be involved in the world of business. Everyone in my life at that point in time was telling me I needed to just go to law school and get an MBA, get a law degree, go work, um, you know, go work behind the scenes in a business. And then I would know, like school would give me the, the knowledge and experience I needed to go start a business. And... I I set my sights on that at that point in time because I didn't have a better template or framework. I still hadn't like the idea of being able to go do this without permission just was a radical concept to me at the time. And so I started working towards that goal, knowing I didn't have a better target in mind, but underneath the surface, something about that was off with me. I just knew it was like, I don't really trust that advice. I feel like it's impractical. Um, I also kind of saw this, this path that really frightened me in my future, if I stayed down this path, I saw myself as, you know, like I was either going to become a corporate finance attorney or a criminal defense attorney. Like I just knew that's that was going to be my fate coming out of law school. I was probably going to be divorced like three times and unhappy and just like a complete degenerate lifestyle. Like I was going to be the lawyer in every bad movie about lawyers that you imagined because I just, I felt like that, I felt like something about that life path and staying on this sort of scripted narrative was soul sucking. And because it was soul sucking, it was going to just, it was going to take all the good out of my life. And that was like deep, that was underneath the surface while I was planning to go to law school. And in in the background, I was searching for an an escape route. I didn't tell all my friends and family this at the, the time. I knew it would have freaked them out, but I was searching for an escape route. And so I started a photography business. I uh, left my first job in, in finance out of college, um, which is another story in and of itself. I went and worked for a law firm. Um, I I left on kind of weird terms on that too. Uh, and, and I just kind of like started just trying anything that I was interested. In. I just like found a way to go get a job and about... You know, it's was, it was kind of like this series of six months, six month experiments over and over and over again. And for some reason, like about six months, I just get bored or frustrated or disinterested. And so I was always sort of prototyping very rapidly, trying to find the next thing. And eventually it sort of clicked. I landed an awesome opportunity to go apprentice a, a CEO of an early stage company who, you know, is a fantastic entrepreneur. And I kind of like took this huge risk uh, personally, and all my friends and family were kind of freaked out that I was like, I'm not going to go to law school. I'm going to go do this other thing instead. Um, But it turned out to be, you know, probably one of the most important career, I mean, definitely one of the most important career decisions, but also one of the most important personal and professional decisions for my own growth. Anyway, I tell you all that to kind of give you important context and fill some gaps about the idea of don't do stuff you hate. When I reflected on that, looking back, it wasn't a series of failed experiments. Yeah, I didn't, you know, some of those experiments didn't pan out what I re- you know, sort of my original hypothesis. I didn't become an attorney. I didn't uh, become a, a wealth advisor. Um, I didn't become a photographer. You know, I didn't grow my photography business. I didn't become an economist. I didn't... Uh, <laughs> work at a nonprofit, become a career nonprofit person, there were like dozens of things I did not become. I didn't become a pediatric neurosurgeon. But what I did is sort of every one of those experiments crossed off an option that I originally thought was something I wanted to to become. And I think that the way that most of us are taught to think about careers and our lives today is this very linear route of Here's where we are today. Here's what we want to become. And if we don't achieve that, we're a failure. But that's not true. That's not how the world actually works. And if you ask people with the most interesting career stories, many of them have these like wild, twisty, turvy, two steps forward, five steps back stories. And it is truly a discovery process. And for me, what what underpinned that iteration process for me was this series of, of experiments following the thing that I was interested in until it was no longer interesting and then radically and rapidly exiting and and going and pursuing the next thing. And I realized that, you know, before you know what you want in life and and in particular in your career, this sort of process of elimination can be a very effective way to go about maneuvering because there are so many options in the world. There's so many limitless paths. And if you sit there and let yourself be overcome by the just infinite options and either one, get paralysis or two, feel pressure that I have to make the perfect, perfect one singular choice. And if I do do that, I'm going to be a failure. You're going to, you're going to be at a bad spot mentally. You're going to feel kind of trapped. And so I think a better way is to flip that on its head. And again, I didn't set out with this philosophy. It was, it was definitely something that I, I discovered and worked for me over time. And then reflecting it, it's like, Hey, there's an actual method to this madness. If you follow your interests and cross off the things you don't like, eliminate the options you don't do stuff you hate, you can get you you can arrive at clarity in a much faster way than sitting here trying to guess what's going to be the best route for you.
0: Yeah, I love the fact that you were going 100% all in with whatever the endeavor was, even if it turned out in retrospect to be something that you might you, you might not like or even hate. Um, and so it's that action bias and that diving in that can give you the self-knowledge, right? That can actually inform you, inform your gut. Like I'm guessing you just had a moment where you just, you felt it in your gut. But your gut isn't, we you know, we say the gut's like your second brain and whatnot. But the reason our gut can be powerful is because we have experience. So when you dive in 100%, then you can, you can inform that gut. And um, I also just love that, you you had that courage to do that and and move away from the prestige you know i can relate to that where i was on track to be a college professor yep. and I, you know the metaphor that i've used is the sirens were singing at me to yeah. easily just continue down that road but i was like no i got to stay you know was odysseus like strapped onto the <laughs> pole whatever yeah uh because it's, it's better to be happy with yourself and actually live fulfilled and satisfied life rather than just you go through the decades and and everyone's praising you maybe you have material wealth. Um, but do you have that inner, that inner happiness, that inner wealth? Right. So I love that you, you followed that. So I'm curious more about the book actually, and, and how you, how that came about in publishing it. Cause you were pretty early on in your career at that point. Um, and I guess Isaac and you were working together and you kind of had some blog posts, you had some blog posts and you decided to throw those together. And I'm curious about the creative process with that book and like what your mindset is and and what you're, how you're viewing that opportunity, you know, sort of from, from this perspective of we're always teaching people to build portfolios and create Mm -hmm. a brand and, and build projects, even if it's not directly for a professional opportunity. But like, what was your mindset at that time in terms of going in and be doing this grunt work to put this book together?
1: Yeah, so I knew when I when I said no to law school, there was sort of this personal commitment I made to myself. It was like for 12 months, I'm going to go all in on this experiment. I don't know where it's going to lead. It may blow up in my face. I may regret it. I don't know. But I want to just see I want to see how far I can get one year just betting on myself. And there's some conditions to that. One, I'm going to say yes to every opportunity that excites me. And I'm going to just go all in. I'm going to, you know, bust my ass and see what happens. But I'm going to take the experiment seriously. I'm not going to shirk off, you know, I'm not going to like slack. I'm going to, for the next year, I'm going to give everything that I got to this thing. And, and I'm confident. I just, I had this, you know, sort of, it was sort of this liberating sense of confidence. It's like, everything is going to work out if I do that. But I also sort of had this fr- this pressure because I think the stakes coming out of a coming out of a world where I was a prestige chaser, the stakes were so high for me and and they weren't really. But but mentally, they were so high for me. I had kind of constructed this narrative for myself. It's like, man, it's going to be so embarrassing if I fail because I've told everybody, I'm going to go do this unproven thing. Everybody told me I can't do it. It's a bad idea. One of my friends even told me I needed to go seek psychiatric help because I was like not going to go to law school and going to go like move across the country to work for this guy that I like never met. And, and so there was all of that sort of, I think this is a really important thing. It's a little bit tangential here, but like whatever you have to do, to craft your own personal narrative, to set you up for like making progress can be a really powerful thing. The stories we tell ourselves can really be a powerful thing. So I was telling myself this story that was like, no matter how much this year sucks, this is like basic training for me. This is like, I'm going all in. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna, you know, there are gonna be challenges that are thrown at me, but I I gotta see this year through. And so in that journey, like I started doing a lot of things. Like I, I wrote every day for a really long period of time. Um, I think like my first month that I sat down and started, I committed to like a a monthly blogging challenge and I wrote something, it was something ridiculous, like 40,000 words or something like that. And I knew I wanted to be a writer at this point in my career too. So I was doing that. I was trying to get, you know, guests published on stuff and I was just cranking out a ridiculous, uh, amount of content, both blogging, journaling, working on some writing projects, I was still taking on photography clients. I was doing like all these different things um, and ultimately, you know, going and apprenticing the CEO, which was also getting thrown in over my head. And so uh, this opportunity came up to, you know, Isaac was looking for somebody to to help him uh, put together a book. And it was mostly his content at this point. You know, he wanted to, um, turn this book in. And so I immediately said yes before anybody else, but I didn't just do that. I went through all of his content. I organized it and I kind of, I kind of presented this vision of like, here's, here's what I see this should be. And it became clear pretty quickly on that. It wasn't just in like, Hey, help me edit this book and turn it into something. It was like, I have this vision for how this could be better. And here's some things that I think we should add in. And so it quickly, you know, more from, hey, help me put this book together and kind of do a grunt work project into why don't you co-author this book for me? And that's a critical distinct, like the critical distinction is is now that I'm, you know, I'm a published author, but that opportunity wouldn't have come about had I had I gone about it differently. And I don't bring that up to say, hey, Mitchell's awesome. Pat myself on the back. I go back to the thing I said about narrative. I had, I had created this narrative for myself that it's like this year I'm going to go all in I'm going to say yes to every opportunity and that that mindset just it, it was a different frame of reference when cool opportunities came on because it was like what's the best way I could do this it wasn't like oh I've got this project that somebody assigned me or I I volunteered for and I kind of don't want to do it it was a very different thing because I was truly trying to like figure out I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point in my life. I knew that I'd gone all in and I wanted to be successful. And so I wanted to make sure I would, in part, I was running towards sort of this nebulous, vague sense of success, but equally important, I was running away from this high stakes, potentially embarrassing situation. And so that sort of, that sort of, that had, you know, both carrot and stick driving me to like, Make the most of every opportunity that I had during that year and, you know, getting to work on and publish a book was an awesome thing that I never expected coming out of that when I you know made that bet and didn't go to law school.
0: Yeah, it reminds me, I like saying to people that it's not that you have to go above and beyond to get a job or to, to, to be a, a, an awesome employee. <laughs> it's that you get to go above and beyond because it's this fulfillment, this creative fulfillment. Of, of taking that extra mile, and then for in your case, you went the extra mile, and it became just something that was actually a co-author, co-authored book, um, which is obviously a huge thing to have in your in your in your arsenal. Um, it sort of reminds me of, and by the way, Mitchell is an author on CareerHackers.com, so there's there's a a host of posts in his name there, and and one of them is is about burnout and I'm curious about how that mindset of going 110 percent at least for that year or whatnot what what takeaways at this point in your life looking back, um, do you how do you balance like that? make sure you're taking care of yourself with also going 110 percent because I know that you know from that blog post that you had you had a moment where you really had to, to check yourself. In terms of how much you were going all in, and so like at this point in your life, how are you? How are you seeing that balance?
1: Yeah, and so that that blog post to add some color too. That was several years down the road in my career. So I was in my okay. late twenties by this point, and I mean I had an actual medical reason for for having to take a step back from work. I you know I was I was going above and beyond at this point, point. and um, I think that there is. Like I don't want to, I don't want to be irreverent or dismissive that there are dangers to burnout. It it is a very, you know, real thing, and I think that like there are things to be said about mental health and staying on top of that. I think the the narrative in the world today is like way too touchy feely and soft. Like the way I think about it now is different than in my early and mid and late twenties. Today, I think though that for the most part in your twenties you should run 110 miles per hour and learn everything you can and build social capital and give it all you've got. And the power of compound interest will take you wherever you want to go later on in life. And it will give you liberties that you didn't have in your early twenties. That's mostly how I think about it. Now there are things you can do to hedge against burnout. Uh, I was not doing these and this, this was an eye opening experience for me. Um, I I was living a mostly sedentary lifestyle. I'd go to the gym some and exercise some, but mostly I was working like 80 to 100 hour weeks every week. I was drinking like two to three pots of coffee every single day. I was drinking heavily on the weekends. And, but I was, my my work was my life. I I was truly convinced it's like, this is my, you know, this is my Sistine Chapel I'm painting. And I want to give everything that I have to this because I know that it's going to do wonders for me. And I was genuinely, I loved my work at that point in time, even even when it was like tedious and, and tough. But there is a sort of Rubicon you have to cross at some point where you've built up enough momentum where you can't operate like that forever. I definitely thought I could. I was young and, you know, bulletproof. And I think that there's a point, though, where you sort of cross the Rubicon of I don't have anything valuable to offer other than I'm willing to tackle this problem and learn how to now I'm actually a professional. I have skills. I have experience. I have some status, I guess. I have social capital. I've, I've built this valuable arsenal. And now what's important for me is to shift from using my time as leverage into using like this robust set of skills and tools and and, and knowledge and all these other things at, to sort of convert into a different form of leverage. What's valuable when you make that shift is like mental clarity, being, you know, being on your A game day in and day out, not being like strung out because you, you know, barely slept and you've, you know, worked your ass off and you're just not being healthy. And I didn't realize that. It, you know when I was early i I don't really regret it I think it was I would not have learned the lesson had it not become as, as serious of a situation as it was I mean I had to take like a, a week off of work for medical leave like I was literally in the emergency room I thought I was having a heart attack like i I wasn't but uh you know those are moments that you look back and you're like okay I was overdoing it I need to rethink everything um and I mean, from from there, like there are things that you can do. I'm I'm much more intentional about how I set up my schedule now. I'm also much more intentional about kind of optimizing when I do my best work and trying to um, recognize, like, hey, some this problem's gonna be here tomorrow. Okay, Uh, I don't have to stay up all night. I sort of know now too that, like, if I don't shut it down by like 6 p.m., I'm not going to sleep at night. I'm going to be like, you know, the wheels are going to be turning because that's just how I am, and I think everybody's a little bit different. They have a different relationship with their work and different tendencies. And I think that as you get older, it's important to to begin to calibrate those for yourself and then begin to build safeguards around yourself. But in your in your twenties, like just go work your ass off and learn as much as you can.
0: Yeah. It's like if you're in your twenties and you're just trying to get yourself launched, then if you're getting too sucked into the optimization and, and, perfectly balanced work life whatever then it's like you're optimizing for what cuz you haven't finished you haven't refined your craft yet yeah go in there invest in your your you know put your your time um like you said go all in with with giving your time and uh, and then de- develop those skills and become a professional over that time and then you have more leverage so it's definitely if if you're going to have a bias towards going above and beyond in terms of energy levels and everything you do that when you're young, obviously it doesn't mean that everyone needs to be uh cranking red bulls at oh, midnight. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, I, you know, at any age you want to obviously take care of your body. Um, but it's just an interesting kind of duality to, to think about. And in in, in um, terms of where you are in your career trajectory, trajectory, right? Cause it's the hardest parts often taking off, getting talk about career launching into orbit getting through the stratosphere. It's the most, energy and then once Mm -hmm. you get into the orbit then you can kind of bounce around and it's a little bit more of a coasting experience yeah absolutely Um, yeah so you mentioned social capital i wanted to dig into that a little bit because i I love that concept and you've written about that and talk talk to us about what is social capital and then what are what are some ways to create social capital that may be less obvious than others
1: yeah so there are a lot of different sort of definitions of social capital but let's let's give you the the easy one as it relates to your clear career it's basically the value you have stored up in your network so it's not just people you know um it's very different it's it's not like nepotism either like hey i'm related to xyz so i know i i know i can get a job on wall street because you know my dad owns a hedge fund it's not that It's the value you've actually stored up in in your network by being someone that other people admire, by being somebody who's created value for other people, by, you know, being someone who's forged a really valuable reputation that is worthy of respect and sort of um, you become the type of professional that other people want to work with. Like that's basically social capital. When you're doing good, you're making deposits when you are making asks of other people, whether it's their time, attention, resources, you're sort of making withdrawals on your, you know, your sort of store of value you have in your network. And so social capital, you might imagine, it's something that can be incredibly valuable to store up, especially early in your career, when you're sort of stockpiling all forms of capital, you're stockpiling, you know, not just the social capital, but sort of your own human capital, you're trying to build skills and experiences and and sort of increase your own leverage um, with the experiences and reputation you have. You're, you are hopefully uh, being smart with your own personal finances as well. Even if you're not making a ton of money, you're like building up some um, form of, of actual financial capital. Even if that is truly just like living below your means and, and putting some money aside, you're not just like, you know, You're not spending more than you're making constantly in debt. Sort of all these different forms of capital can be really valuable reserves as you're going on your career journey. Because again, I mentioned sort of the law of compound interest is it's very hard to get started. But as you accumulate these things, everything gets a little bit easier. Compound interest does kick in. And and with your network, like truly one of the most advantageous parts of social capital is, is like you don't know the type of serendipity that being the first person someone thinks of when they have a cool opportunity, like what type of serendipity that creates for your career. I mean, I've had, I've had several different instances where I've been invited to go build a company or invited along for a project simply by doing good work, sharing that out loud and sort of developing this reputation. Um, And I don't mean go about that in a chintzy way where you're like being a you know personal branding and trying to be an influencer even though you haven't done anything valuable yet but like just go do good work um go find other people whose time is worth more than yours and like take low value tasks off their plate and like you know there's this really interesting concept uh this is from one of Ryan Holiday's early books it's this phrase called antum bulo and i this sort of summarizes all my beliefs in social capital the last thing i'll put out there is this this phrase antembulo, which means literally one who clears the path of others so in like early you know roman history like this is you know the the roman slave or orator would like run before on the path in front of their their lord or master and they would they would literally clear the path and announce the presence and i think that's a really good sort of mindset of like, how can I go clear the path for somebody else and be somebody who like, you know, increases the value of their time by taking low value stuff off their table. If you do that, you're going to build up an incredible store of social capital that is that's one day going to convert to other types of opportunities for you.
0: Yeah, I love that mindset, especially early on, you know, how can you use your your opportunity cost, which is very low early on in your career, to uh, to serve somebody else who, who maybe an entrepreneur, like how can you take something easy off their plate? How can you do low, um, really simple tasks for them to help them save their time, right? So social capital is is really key, and you know there's there's other little things you can do, um, even just tweeting at a company and saying why you like their company or sending a thank you card to somebody, um, and, and thinking about that with all your relationships, I'm I'm starting to find how can I create social capital social capital, my, you know, informal relation, friendships and everything. Like it's a really good mindset and it it creates a win-win because when people, when you give to people, then they, they want to give back. And it's only, it's only a win-win. Um, a couple more questions. I'm curious about your tips on, on pitching a company to land a job and specifically like give people encouragement who might've heard about us talking about pitching and sending a video and, creating a value prop and and maybe they're like, yeah, that sounds like it works, but that's a lot of work or that I'm not sure I can do it or I'm not ready yet. Or, uh, I just feel resistance to doing it. And, and tell us about like, what are some, what's an encouragement for someone to just shoot their first video pitch and give them some hope that it it doesn't need to be perfect.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, definitely, definitely doesn't need to be perfect, but I'll I'll tell you, you know, a couple quick stories here of of being on the receiving end of this. As somebody who's hired a lot of people over over my career, like a couple different people who have just absolutely trumped the competition. I wanted to hire them immediately. One of them was 16 year old kid at the time, and I had interviewed several people for this job. It was basically uh, ended up being a sales operation job. Basically, I needed somebody to clean data, and it was very very low expectations for this job. I just needed it done really well and I needed it to be quick turnaround time. And um, this 16 year old kid just like absolutely blew my socks off. Like I didn't give him a bunch of instructions, but he went over and above on the job and turned it around very, very quickly. And so again, something that was like not a hard task, but like people who had way more experience than him completely botched it or acted like it was below them. It's a very easy way to get his foot in the door. And then another story of somebody like I posted a job. This is several years ago and had I don't even remember how many candidates, but one of the candidates literally within like two hours had created this custom pitch like, hey, I read through the job post. Was for a marketing role. I also went and did a quick audit on some of these things. I put together just like 30, 60, 90. Here's what I would do. Here's kind of the opportunity I see. And like literally within two hours, before I'd ever even heard back from anybody, she had like created this pitch and I immediately wanted to hire her. Even, you know, I, I reviewed a few other candidates and still it was like going above and beyond. The bar is so low. You don't have to be perfect. I think early on in your career, if you could be first and you can be first with something that's really valuable, that's sometimes more important than being perfect or being having the right background or experience or anything like that. Because there's sort of a couple different things at play here in hiring decision. One, you have to get attention. You have to get attention first. If you can't get attention... Nobody's ever going to look at whatever you put together. Not going to look at your resume cover. It doesn't matter what you're sending. If you're not getting attention, you've already lost the game. And two, you have to signal something of substance. So get attention. And then what is what are you driving attention to? If it's a resume cover letter that looks like everybody else's, like you've made it very different. You've, you've ma- increased the difficulty level of you being able to stand out among the crowd. If you signal something differently, Sometimes that's all you have to do to increase the potency of your signal. Wow, this is different, so I'm going to pay a little bit extra attention to it. Oh, wow, it's also good. It's clearly thoughtful. Even if this person is a little bit green, I'm inclined to give them more of my attention. I'm inclined to, instead of giving them the seven seconds, which is the average time a a recruiter spends on a resume, I'm going to give them 30 seconds. That 23-second differential can make a huge difference for your ability to get your foot in the door and convince somebody to give you a job. So don't, don't stress out about it. Be thoughtful, shoot your shot and know that like going above and beyond ultimately is a better strategy for getting the right type of outcome over time. It may just take a few reps.
0: Absolutely. You build momentum. Just shoot that first pitch. You get, get excited, get confident and then you'll go from there. Um, so tell us about Praxis and what you guys are up to and uh, anyone who's never heard of you. Tell us uh, why they need to come to Praxis, and uh, and also what what your vision is, and what what do you see, how do you see the economy playing out in the next few years with with this uh, portfolio mindset, and and as the college degree kind of disappears.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Praxis is a year long a- apprenticeship program for young adults who want more than the traditional college experience. So we tend to attract a lot of like ambitious, hardworking. Entrepreneurial young adults, a lot of people who are just looking for a more practical solution than than college, um, and they want to go start their careers. They're excited by going and entering the workforce, about building skills, about gaining more personal agency over how they design their lives and careers. And I think that's where it, it really gets exciting um, when we think about the long term vision. Is you know the way most people go about their lives and careers, um, those who go through the traditional sort of schooling model it's very reactive. There's this sort of template. um, There's sort of this template mindset. This is the one I was on in my career. It's like sort of play by all the rules. You've got to finish this step to unlock the next. It's very reactive. You don't have a lot of agency. You don't have a lot of control. You're sort of a cog in a wheel. And I think that 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 has a high likelihood, um, sort of high likelihood or high frequency of leading to uh, a lack of of unfulfilled life uh unfulfilled career, like when you feel like you don't have control over your life or you don't have agency, it's very hard to change things it's very hard to have a positive outlook it's very hard to sort of seek out fulfillment and so again, not to get off off track here, but what excites me most about the long term potential of what we're building, you know what we've even seen over the better part of a decade here um working with hundreds and hundreds of apprentices. Uh, to go take that first step is it is a radically different way of life when you are a young adult who prioritizes your own personal agency and sort of your own interests over just like fitting in and going the default route. And so I see, you know, young adults now who are alumni of our program, who are four or five, some are even, you know, seven years out of the program, seven, eight years out of the program now, who are like absolute badasses in their career. They avoided student debt in many cases. They went and they pursued their skill development and exploring, you know, cultivating interesting, valuable experiences and like getting smart with their money. And sort of every step they took along the way early on in their career, increased their leverage, increased their optionality, added to sort of their own human capital, developed that, you know, cultivated that that social capital we were talking about earlier. And so over time... That gives them so much control and so much agency over how they spend their time, what they do for work, where they live, and sort of maximizes their personal agency over their lives. Just some of the happiest, most fulfilled people that I know that are, you know, alumni of our program. It's not just specific to our program. It's specific to sort of this this way of life where you are going to be very deliberate versus sort of passive and building out your career. So that's what excites me long term. Um, but it all step it all starts with like prioritizing your own interest, learning how to actually be valuable to other people. And, you know, I'm I'm very excited about the program we built. We have a very high success rate. People who go through our program, you know, they have a mindset shift, but they also access really awesome career opportunities, have great long-term earning potential, and you know, offer them the opportunity to build skills and learn alongside um, you know, seasoned professionals, entrepreneurs, and plus join an awesome community of other young professionals who are doing the same thing.
0: I love it. Yeah. There's so many ripple effects beyond when, when you start off your career that way with, without the college debt, not just the debt, but the skills and the mindset. There's so many ripple effects where, yeah, I'm, I think, you know, give it a couple of decades and you're going to start seeing a lot of practices kind of at the top of the world, if you will. <laughs> so it's uh, discoverpractice.com. Mitchell Earl.com any other places you want to send people
1: checks out on Twitter or uh, Instagram and, you know you can access everything through the website discoverpraxis.com and you know if you ever have any questions feel free to shoot me an email Mitchell at discoverpraxis.com or go through our website and uh, check out some of the resources there
0: awesome really appreciate it, Mitchell
1: yeah you bet always a pleasure